rivalry means for you to win this game, you're going to have to raise your level of play. Rivalry boosts the sport, and I think college football is really defined in many ways uh, through the different rivalries that take place there. I'm Les Miles, and this is Less is More. Those of you that are choosing to listen to Less is More's podcast, uh, we welcome Manny Miles, my eldest son. He's a... Uh, a uh, a quarterback at um, UNC, that'd be the University of North Carolina. And uh, Manny, welcome, buddy. We, uh, we're we glad to have you. And your dad is uh, proud to uh, put you on his podcast. Well, thanks, Dad. And thanks, everyone, for having me on. Hey, Manny, just, to, just so we get this out here, your sister, Smacker, has set the bar very high. So I don't want you to feel any pressure. I know as a quarterback you're used to dealing with that, but your sister, a Smacker, has, has done an unbelievable job. The show will be renamed next year in her honor. But uh, <laughs> Smack we is look more. forward to your, your comments. Yeah, well, um, I, I've always had to follow up Smack because she won a state championship in swimming back in high school, and my parents told me that I had to do the same thing. But uh, I, I seem to be able to do that, so I guess, yeah. I guess I'll just yeah. have to do it again. So jumping into jumping into last week, it was a unbelievable week of college football. One of the best that we've had all season. And uh, and down uh, down there in uh, Auburn, uh, the Georgia the undefeated Georgia Bulldogs went down there and uh, were beaten soundly by the Auburn Tigers, as I predicted. I might add. Uh, give me your thoughts on that uh, that scenario that played out there, uh, John. The uh... It kind of uh, it's kind of surprised me, but uh, when you go back and you realize what it's like to play at Jordan Hare Stadium, it's it's Auburn is a different team at Jordan Hare, and I uh, I I should have uh, I should have recognized that I uh, um, you know they uh, they rushed the football against Georgia, which nobody has rushed the football. They had uh, this uh, Johnson key. Carry on Johnson, 32 carries, 167 yards. Um, I just, you know, and Jarrett Stidham was hot, you know, 16 to 23, 214, three touchdowns, and he added a rushing touchdown. So, I mean, considering this is really the true blowout because um, what was Auburn's defense stuffed what was Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle just stubbed, just basically stopped their running game and they rushed it they threw it and had their way and this is I mean this is a a 40-17 versus the number one Georgia Bulldogs and it was a dominant dominant performance by Auburn largest loss less largest loss ever by a team ranked number one in the college football playoff bowl and in the balance that that Auburn offense showed they were almost equal through the air and on the ground and uh I mean, they, it was a thorough, a thorough beatdown. Yeah, but you know, in, uh, you know Air. this uh, this Jake Fromm, Jake Fromm has had a you know a great. He's a true freshman. 
He's a guy that has, you know, he was 13 for 28, 184 yards. And you would you would have thought that he was the rusher, the in other words, he would compete. If he had to be as good as Jarrett Stidham, then then you would think, you know, in his past that he'd be able to move his feet certainly as well as as Jarrett. And um, but Stidham really won the quarterback battle, simply put. And they averaged, how about this, the Georgia offense rushing the football averaged 1.4 yards per carry. I mean, that meant, period, you weren't handing the ball off three times and getting a first down. It's just not going to happen. And so what a, uh, what, what a, what a in my opinion, uh, it, it let you know that, uh, that Auburn is capable of rising up and playing very big in big games, so and they and they have a, an Alabama game coming up that's going to be kind of interesting too. Well, speaking of that, let's, if if they end up beating Alabama um, in the Iron Bowl, they would end up facing uh, Georgia again in the SEC championship for a spot in the playoffs. Which, as we know, when you play a team twice in the same year, as OU may end up playing TCU in the championship of that league as LSU beat um, Alabama and then played them again in the national championship. When you play the same team twice, you know, the only league that they make a living out of that is the NFL. It'll be very interesting to see if, if the motivation there is, you know, because I can promise you this, we, and, t- and I did a poor job preparing my team. We believed we were going to go in there and win again. Just pretty simple. And uh, we felt like they were behind us, that they were not, uh, I mean, philosophically, you better, you better come up with the right approach to your team or otherwise there's going to be somebody on that team not ready to play. Well, and then, and then as far as Georgia goes, you know, they had a little breathing room, but now uh, they could, you know, we thought before they could lose in the SEC championship game and still get a spot, but it, now they have to win out. There's no... Uh, there's no losing now, so they have to run the table to have a shot at getting in that Final Four. 230 total yards. That is that is anemic. So, I mean, compared, so compared to 488 yards for Auburn. Right. Okay, Coach, we got some questions for you this week uh, from your iTunes listeners. The first one... What's the most memorable thing an opposing coach has said to you after a game? And in general, what's said during those uh, meetings out there at midfield after a uh, great win or a tough loss? There's never been a game that I haven't met the coach before we played. Wished him good luck in, in telling, you know, let's both stay healthy. That kind of piece. The post game. Uh, can be much more different, uh, much more difficult than the uh, pregame visit with the opposing coach. The uh, postgame can be, um, I, I can remember playing a uh, team and uh, their coach had given me the finger um, just before, really in about the fourth quarter. And uh, I... Uh, he came across and shook my hand, and I grabbed his hand, and I wanted to talk to him and, you know, just give him just a couple of little words uh, in his ear. 
And uh, he, uh, I grabbed his elbow in his hand and kind of held it and tried to get to his ear to visit with him. And uh, he did not allow that, and uh, he yanked away. But uh, uh, most of the, no matter win or loss, um, you, uh, you went to the opponent's uh, coach, and uh, you said, uh, great game. You know, any time that you start uh, the game 0-0, you have great respect for your opponent. And you finish with victory, you still have great respect for your opponent. And if certainly you finish second in that game, you want to congratulate him because he just busted his tail and he beat a damn good football team because you coach them and you know who they are. And uh, that's kind of, I've, I've had some, uh, I had a uh, Tennessee game where the coach crossed the field and, uh, we shook hands based on the fact that he thought that he'd finished first in that game and won the game. And, uh, but there was a penalty and, um, they had put 13 men in the end zone on that play. And so there was a penalty and it moved us to about the half yard line. And, uh, we scored on the next play. And so then I went to find that coach and, uh, shake hands with him because I, I so did not enjoy shaking hands with him after I had lost. I certainly wanted to enjoy the opportunity to shake hands with him after I had won. And, uh, and that, was the, uh, that was going to be the ending score and the, uh, the victory was going to stay. So I wanted to shake his hand. He was headed towards his locker room and we kind of cut him off and shook hands with him. And uh, uh, again, um, enjoyed uh, a, uh, a polite exchange. Coach, what's the hardest and easiest part of recruiting for you? The hardest part by far and away was taking a bag, throwing it in a hotel room, carrying your gear, getting there. Travel, I did not like. I did not also like when a great player said no because generally at some point in time you had – a relationship with him. You enjoyed who he was and liked his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters and his coach. And this was going to be a great fit. And when you finished second in recruiting, that was miserable. That was a difficult thing in, in, uh, in recruiting. But the best things about recruiting are meeting those people, enjoying time, having a meal in their house, um, getting to find out what's important to them and um, really, generally speaking, meeting uh, the people that really represented him. I can tell you the number of schools that I've gone in and teachers come out in the hall and they, they talk about, you know, their, what is their, you know, the guy at their school that, that represents them and he and the English teacher wants to say, hey, he's a great student. He busts his tail. He's, maybe he's not the smartest this or smartest that, but he can write really well and he's really capable. And they would talk about who he was as a person. I loved meeting the people. And uh, whether it was the prospect, the mom and dad, 
maybe the counselor at the school that, that really just had to come out and say something very, very positive about the prospect. Les, if you can change one rule, what is it? If they name me czar of football and I can change one rule, what is it? I would continue to work this, um, this targeting rule. I think the uh, targeting rule has great impact on our players. Uh, my sons both play football. I, it is a health issue. If you get yourself a knee injury, that's a problem. If you get yourself an ankle, again, that's a problem. A shoulder, that's a problem. But when you get a very serious concussion, that can have long-term ramifications. And I've, I've been around those men that have had those issues, and I, uh, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it as, as a history of our game. And I think that we're really doing a great job putting – that rule uh, in the in the front. I think the the emphasis that the officiating crews have had really for the last several years have been that targeting rule. I think it stays, and I think it needs to continue to be an emphasis for this reason. I think there's some egregious hits. I think that there's the style of hit where where it's on purpose, and I not only throw him out of the game for one game. But you throw him out of the game for two games, and if it's it's bad enough, it's you know a three game suspension. But it needs to be reviewed um, as intentional. In other words, I came through on this quarterback. The quarterback had his back turned, and I went helmet to helmet, and I drove him into the ground. I don't want that. I don't want that for my son. I don't want it for your son. I want that fixed. And if there was a a threat of a multiple-game suspension, I think that that helps. But I, this game is so great. It is, it's so testament. It is so is a um, hard work and energy produce the results you want. It has the great lessons of a tough man's game. I just think that you, you have to make sure that the, the men that are playing it as best you can you make a rule designed to protect them. And I think that uh, I'd, uh, I'd add to that uh, targeting rule. Hey, Coach. Cal Cohn from the Hawkeye State of Iowa. Just curious uh, if you've got a list of maybe five or ten stadiums that you think every college football fan should experience a game in. Well, Michigan is the stadium that I grew up in. I, I can remember taking the field the first time and looking up in the crowd and seeing 100,000 people. I'm I, I sure I went the wrong way. I didn't know that my feet were actually touching the ground. So uh, the uh, Tennessee team um, has a spectacular stadium. I can remember being in a press box there and calling plays for an Oklahoma State team that was not good enough uh, early in my career. And the, the stadium actually moved. The, the press box actually swayed. And it was a little unnerving, and my view down on the field was very vertical. And uh, but I thought that that Tennessee was was a great place, and uh, certainly the LSU Tigers have a not only a great stadium, but even when it was ninety-two-five, the style of people that came into that stadium that loved those Tigers and made their 
their uh, love known by the noise they made. It's very special. I uh, I never took the field with that team, and I didn't have uh, and the hair in the back of my neck didn't just stand right up. And uh, special place, very special place. The uh, Alabama team, what they did to me pregame was just they shouldn't have done it to anybody. They played music at such a high decibel, I could not, I had to scream to just have simple conversation. And when the game started, and certainly if the game started, you know, that the LSU Tigers were having success, the stadium was quiet enough so that I was good. But they piped in pregame sounds that were so loud, I had a headache every time I played there. But again, it was a, uh, a great experience. And then the, uh, the AT&T uh, Dallas Cowboy Stadium, Jerry's World, uh, what a spectacular place to play. I can remember taking the, the field, coming up from underneath that, uh, uh, that stadium in a, in a tight tunnel. And uh, I can remember that jumbotron, that the, the word jumbo was named and, and meant to be most specific because that jumbotron, I, I can remember being underneath it looking up to see what it was displaying and it was so large, I, w I had to be directed to the area of the jumbotron that I needed to look at to see if, in fact, there had been a fumble. I mean, it was a very, very special place. Um, and then I would say, any stadium that I was fortunate enough to walk out of with victory was as fine a place as I've ever been because it's just damn important that you win. So, so let's move on to, to my, uh, my Canes crushing uh, Notre Dame down there in South Florida. Can't uh, quite hear you, John. John, what were you talking about? Are you talking about Miami? Yeah. Yeah, I think every time. About... Yeah, I think I, I, I it's can't hardly hear. I just. Well, let's put that up to your good ear, will you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, how many times do I got to pick the canes? And, you and, picked and, it. You know, are you a believer now? Really? Are you I, a believer? Well, I got to be honest with you. I think that they played where I got uh, sidetracked. I still don't believe that the the um, um, Miami team is on a neutral in field is going to play like they played in that in that game. I think that uh, I think that I think Notre Dame ran into the Catholics versus the convicts, and um, that Miami team was just poised to play. And I have to be honest with you. I mean, Manny, I know you played both these teams um, while you were at North Carolina. I didn't think that, you know, I just watched the, the uh, Miami-North Carolina game, and I was not impressed. I thought, I thought that the uh, quarterback for, for Miami was just a very average thrower, and I didn't see a great running back. And, and I, think things, I think they played way, way over their head. It, it, because they were, they really turned back to history, and they said, "Catholics and convicts, here we come. We want to be Miami of old. Let's go." What do you think, Manny? 
Yeah, I mean, when we played Miami, um, we played them really close. Um, and we played Notre Dame without their starting quarterback. So, in my mind, I thought Notre Dame was going to win that game. But when you have, I think it was four turnovers that Miami got, um, you can't win a game with four turnovers. Just statistically, I don't, I don't know if many teams have ever done that. Um, two, two pick sixes. And they got appear. hot early. And so, it, it was just kind of downhill from there. Well, when you got the uh, great motivation of the turnover chain there on the Miami sideline, uh, you know, that's the 12th man. I mean, that defense has, has you know, risen to the occasion here uh, the last few weeks. And, and uh, I just, as I said earlier, and, man, like uh, Coach said, you've played both teams. This year, for whatever reason, Miami seems to have that it factor. There's something special going on down there. I'm not saying they're going to run the table and, you know, be the uh, – champion of the, of the college football this year, but there there's something special going on down there this year. I don't, I don't know. I just have that feeling. Yeah. I mean, Miami had pulled out close games basically through week six, like almost every game of the week. And then these last two weeks versus Virginia Tech and then Notre Dame, they, they beat them pretty soundly. So I think they're getting hot at the right time and really are really going to have a chance to, in the playoffs. How do you guys uh, look at the uh, turnover chain? In other words, the uh, I, I think I think it's really a wonderful thing to have a motivation that happens, you know, from the sideline. I mean that that you you have a an award basically given initially when you carry it off the field and on your neck, um, but. I don't know that I'm ready to buy a turnover chain. What do, what do you what do you think, Manny and John? I think the turnover chain gets the guys on the defensive ball excited, and they want to they want that chain. They want to wear it, and anything that can get people to play a little bit harder and give them that edge will make the team better. And so, even if it's just a symbolic, oh, I get the chain because I got the turnover, it's still helping the team. And so, if they're getting excited and it's helping them, might as well stick with it. What other what other thing would you put in this, John? In other words, if you, you're not going to be the Miami turnover chain, you, you're going to have to. It's going to have to be your your motivation. If if in fact you buy it, yeah. Well, they came up with a great idea, right? And and, and no, I haven't. This is the first time I've seen something like. But you think about this generation of players, Manny, which you are a part of, is it's all about immediate gratification, right? Everything's immediate gratification, whether it's going to fast food, your social media, getting on your phone. And this thing plays right into what these kids uh, love, right? So it was a brilliant idea. Uh, I know uh, there's been some great T-shirts sold with that chain on it, and uh, the fans are embracing that concept. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there will be a copycat now. I don't know what, you know, you know uh, what other teams are going to come up with something symbolic, but I think it's a it's a really cool idea to to do that. And obviously, if it motivates the kids and makes them play better, uh, you know, w- whatever it takes, right? Really interesting, though. It's theirs. It's really a a specific um, time in an award that has Miami written all over it. What does the rest of the country do if they believe? that that is a, a quality piece, do, do, do they come up with a chain? Do they come up with a what, – what, what are the other awards? What, 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 what can you put together? 
Well, can you can you take a tiger a, ta- a tiger tail and put it around uh, you know a fur tiger tail and, and throw it around some be, be a great uh, LSU if you're, tigers. If, if you were an LSU tiger or a Clemson tiger, that would be a really good one, right? And mm-hmm. and if you were a uh, if you were a Wolverine, you may maybe that uh, maybe that Wolverine's tail, you know. A, uh, well, if you're a Buckeye, you could put some, a string of Buckeye nuts, right? We've seen those around some fans' heads. So, <laughs> but 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 whatever it's going to be, I think Miami nailed it with that gold chain. I mean, like you said, it was so so Miami Hurricane. It was a perfect uh, perfect deal. So Manny, you guys played uh, uh, Miami very close, okay? And like, what would you assess how you played and were so successful against them? And, like, if you were a opposing team that coming down the stretch here, how would you game plan to play against Miami to be successful? What do you think are the keys to, to, to beating those guys, moving the football, and, and stopping them uh, defensively? Um, so when we played Miami, we kind of ran into the same um, issues that Notre Dame had when we had three turnovers um, late in the game. I think they were all in the second half. Um, but we went into halftime, I believe, winning – and or down by three and I mean we we thought we were going to win that game at halftime we had everyone on our team was believing and um you know if you're game playing for Miami they play a lot of man so you got to have some man beaters um on the offensive side of the ball and you got to have some people to make some plays for you so you got to be ready to to because they're going to man you up. You got to have some guys who can beat man pressure. You got to have a guy who can deliver the ball uh, when they're playing so tight and and they're coming at you. I mean, you you have to yeah. be able to take advantage of their aggressiveness. Yeah, and they they had a really strong defensive line, so they're playing man, and you don't have a lot of time back there, so you got to get the ball out quick, which mm-hmm. is um, another another thing that turns that turns into turnovers when you're trying to get the ball out quick and you're playing man coverage. And because Smacker Miles isn't around right now, I'm gonna I take a moment as a father might and brag about his his daughter. We kind of thought Smack was this uh, really good swimmer. She was swimming eight and under, right? And so we're making sure that she gets to all the meets and all the things. And the uh, one of the big meets in Oklahoma at the time was the meet of champions in uh, Bartlesville, I believe, Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And it's really a historically big meet. And in that uh, time frame, it was a big deal to that uh, eight-year-old. And what Smack was trying to make happen was to win High Point. All of the events, you know, that you can swim, you know, if you have, you know, so many firsts, so many seconds, whatever it is, you you add up the total, and and you are the High Point award winner for your team or for your age group, right? And uh, so we uh, were headed that way, and the coach, you know, kind of calls and says, hey, listen, inadvertently, we did not enter her in the 200-meter swim. And uh, it was a mistake, and, you know, I don't know that I can get her added to the swim. Well, if she's not in this 200-meter swim, she can't win the, she can't win the meet, right? She was in the in the argument for being the best swimmer, female swimmer, eight and under, and she was the best female swimmer, no argument, ten and under, and she was the best swimmer, twelve and under. So they show we show up and he's gonna get her deck entered if he can. And it was really a question because you only have so many spaces and 
you know, you had deck entering had to be done at the site. You know what I mean? You had to you had to show up, have your swimmer there. Basically, there was nobody in that was swimming the 200 meter against her. There was not even a race. I mean, it was really like three or four girls, right? She lapped the girl that was swimming there and set the record for the meet in the 200 meters. We said, swim until you get tired and then just swim as fast as you can. I was so proud of her. She got out of that pool just smiling and she knew she had done well, but she didn't know until the other girl swam that she was going to have won the race. There's a lot of great swimmers who in that group of people that were also swimming and she won her other events. And so she ends up being the high point girl with a deck entered 200 meters and, uh, <laughs> It was the first time she'd ever swam that length and the first time she'd ever done it in a big meet. And she just had to clear her mind and say, I could do this. That was a great day. So moving over to uh, our Oklahoma Sooners and my boy Baker Mayfield, they sent a strong message uh, against TCU with a 38-20 beating, and they jumped on them early and, and, and really never let up. Uh, Coach, what are your thoughts on uh, on uh, that game and, and how it played out against a, a good, a very good TCU team? The uh, I, I think I think that there's a difference in the the athlete between TCU and Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma recruits the best players in the state of Oklahoma. They recruit um, Kansas, the the you know kind of that that area. But when they go into Texas. They take firsts, and, and they beat Texas, you know, Texas A&M and, you know, TCU. So I, I think there's a – I think there's a different defense. I think, um, I think certainly um, Baker Mayfield is a difference maker. And I, uh, you know, I, I just it's, – it's a uh, – it's a – it's, it's a tough deal for TCU. I, I, I don't I don't think it's uh, um, I don't I don't I think it's you know it's not apples and, and apples. It's it's two different styles of athlete, and it's a uh, I think there's a difference. A, uh, you know, simply put. Well, and, it, and there's a good chance uh, Oklahoma will have to play TCU again in a Big Twelve championship game. And then uh, they win that one, and, and you know it's, the odds are high that they'll they'll be getting into the playoffs. I, I watched the TCU Kansas game, and Kenny Hill, the TCU quarterback, was phenomenal. I mean, he was just on fire. His third down percentage was, you know, he was, I don't know, in 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 the first half, I think he was, you know, four for five, and in the second half, he was, you know, then they got him out in the fourth quarter. But uh, and he rushed the ball and, and 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 against an Oklahoma defense, he was a he was 13 for 280. Excuse me, he was 13 of 28 and and threw the ball for 270 and one touchdown. And he is a legitimate threat no matter who you play. But Baker. Baker puts on a Heisman show of 18 of 27 for 333 yards. Yep. And you, you, 
you look at you look at the styles of teams. I think I think thirty eight twenty is representative of TCU playing hard, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the uh, the uh, eighteen point lead that OU has was probably uh, a, a moderate lead compared to what was what what the uh, Oklahoma team is capable of. Mm-hmm. Hey Manny, how what would you think of an OU Bama matchup in the playoffs? How, how would you see that going? I. I think Baker Mayfield could give Oklahoma life and start out on fire and get the hot hand, and you never know. Um, I mean, obviously, most people would probably take Bama in that game, but Baker Mayfield gets hot and that team believes in him. You never know what will happen. Les, how do you think? I mean, I think you got to throw against Bama. you, you got to find a way to, to, to throw against them to beat them, in my opinion, and, and you've coached against them, you know, how many times. How, how would if you were Oklahoma? How would you go against Bama? Well, if you if you looked at uh, Nick Fitzgerald, the dual threat guy for Mississippi State, who played Alabama off their feet in the last game that they played. I mean, basically Alabama has to has to score at the end of the game to win it, and uh, I, I think there's two things there. I think you you must throw to beat them. I think you the the running quarterback, the dual threat quarterback poses them like the rest of college football, a a tremendous uh, challenge to stop that that guy that can run it and throw it, and um, but yeah, I, I think I think Baker Mayfield, like Manny said, eighteen of twenty seven, three hundred thirty three, he threw for dang near six hundred yards the week before, and that would put a a uh, you will find a great secondary, um, I think, because of injury. The Alabama team has is missing a safety and, a, and several linebackers. Um, but I, I think that the I think the way that Oklahoma is set up to move the football would give Alabama a a, a headache, and it would. I, I think that there's a uh, legitimate chance that OU could beat Alabama in a in a playoff in a neutral site. Now. You yeah, get Alabama. I know, I know Baker Mayfield's not backing down from anybody either. Baker plays the game with passion and with his heart on his sleeve, and I think that's the only way you can really play football. Um, you see what he brings to that Oklahoma offense and really to that whole team. Um, and I mean, he just he gives them life. You know, when you, when you score a touchdown and your team sees how pumped you are about it, it gets them excited too. And you know, you get some people that really believe in the guy driving the ship, then it's hard to stop a team like that. Um, and, I mean, Baker Mayfield is very, very much the leader of that Oklahoma team. Well, I, I agree. It's Everyone else feeds off his energy, right? Yeah. And, and I think that takes him to an, another level. Obviously, his physical skills are, are great, but I think that energy and that presence takes them to another level. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's leadership, and it's 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 not exactly every time he talks, but it's how he plays the game. It's how he interacts with his teammates. How he's, you know, just like Manny said. I, I think I think it would. I think Manny's description was so correct. We wear your heart on your sleeve because it's damn important to play with passion, and that's that's a great description, Manny. There's, I, 
I might be wrong about this, but watching him play, he thinks he can make every play on a football field. And whether he can or he can't, people see him doing that, and they think they can make more plays on the football field for him. So when he's throwing a ball and it's just out of reach, but that receiver thinks that he can do it because Baker thinks that he can make the throw, then there's a better chance that it will happen. And when you get everyone thinking that they can do a little bit more, um, you know, I, I heard this one time about baseball. You make 100% of the plays you can always make, and you make 50% of the ones you think you can't make. So you got to go for them all. And um, that's the way you got to play. Well, and he backs up. He backs up his, his bravado or confidence or whatever you want to call it. He backs it up. I mean, if you if you do all that and you don't back it up, it's it's a different deal. But this guy backs it up, and he takes everybody's game to another level. Yeah, I think it's safe to say safe to say that we are a Baker Mayfield podcast. Well, let's 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 not forget about five six weeks ago. It was a slow process getting you over to to hundred percent to the, the side. You know, it's been a process, but I think now you're finally seeing the light. You well, know? so well, just this, rem- just remember there was a clouded spot where he drove. <laughs> the flag into the Buckeye at the 50-yard stripe and where he thought it was worthy of an apology. And so to find out where Baker really was. Come on. Yeah. That, that hey, Manny, can you, Manny, yeah, Manny, can you believe your dad? Can you believe your dad, it. really? I mean. Yeah, that apology was because his coaches made him say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, hey, it was scripted, just like the stuff we give you, Les. Scripted, oh, you just it, read it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, hey, listen, I'm coming after you. Hey, remember this, John. I know where you live, and Manny, I know where you live. So. <laughs> so back by popular demand this week, we're going to go to our blind guessing segment. Last week we were picking uh, Heisman candidates. This year, this week, we're going to pick uh, which team do we like better. Not necessarily going into the playoffs, but which team would we like better based on the statistics that I'm going to read. So for Team A, Team A is going to is ranked number 28th in total offense, averages 215 yards passing per game, 221 yards rushing per game. They're number 10 in the country in total defense. They hold teams to 298 total yards and 15 points. They've played the 23rd most difficult schedule with two wins over teams ranked in the latest AP poll. That's Team A. Team B is going to come in at number 42 in total offense. They average 168 yards passing per game, 256 yards rushing per game. They're number 6 in total defense. They hold teams to 278 yards and 14.5 points per game. They've played the 24th most difficult schedule with one in one win over ranked teams in the latest AP poll. What are your thoughts? Who would you pick in, as a better team, a representative team at this point in the season? I like A. And the reason I take A is because offensively, they're the 28 offense and they have good balance, both run and pass. Um, they're a they're tenth in total defense, so they have a very very good, if not elite defense as it is. And so they're holding um, a a team to under 300 yards, which is elite. They're only giving up 15 points. Again, uh, a a great statistic, and 
of the two teams that we're looking at, they're the 23rd most difficult schedule as opposed to the 24th most difficult schedule that Team B has. So I, me personally, I'm, I'm very comfortable with Team A. Okay, Manny, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I'll take Team A, too. Um, I mean, they have two wins over teams in the latest AP poll um, mm-hmm. that are ranked, and Team B only has one win, so that probably has to do with the strength of schedule. Um, and they have a more balanced attack with averaging 215 yards passing versus 221 rushing. Um, so I'm going to go with Team A, too. Very comparable statistically, though. And the envelope, please. Team A is Clemson. Team B are the Georgia Bulldogs. So, like you said, very compatible and, and very close statistically. But I think I would agree with, with both of you as, as, as I would, as a blind pick, I would have picked Team A. I think that Clemson is a great pick if you to take you took the blinders off and you just were looking at them. I think Clemson's another one that fits into that spot very closely. Well, they're going to have to get by Miami, and I think the winner of that game will, will probably get an invitation, I would guess. Yeah, I agree with you, John. Okay, let's jump over to uh, the Big Ten, which uh, we all love so dearly. Wisconsin, undefeated Wisconsin, finally played a ranked team, and they, they hosted Iowa, and they were dominant, winning 38-14. to and, and really, they pitched a shutout because there were two pick sixes that uh, uh, Iowa scored off of. So uh, they're rounding into, into shape, and uh, uh, are, you re- are we ready to buy Wisconsin yet? or What, what are our thoughts? I am. A great defense. They held Iowa to 66 total yards a week after uh, Iowa had put 50 on the Buckeyes. Um, they, they, you, have, you have to understand, they have running and they have um, defense. Jonathan Taylor, it, it, as a runner, is a, a big beast of a man. And he is he's going to get you yards in big, tough games now. That's a recipe as long as I've been a coach. If you can rush it and you can defend it and you can manage the, the ball in the air, you know, behind a, a play action, which, is, which they do extremely well. Hornybrook manages the play action and manages that style of offense extremely well. I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to buy Wisconsin. I think their defense is going is to the, is the star. I think that the tailback is the mode of transportation, and I think the quarterback can throw it well enough and can manage the game to win a lot of games. Well, those are all true statements, Les. Uh, those are all true statements, but um, he's also good at throwing to the other team. And he's yeah, not he had, faced – yeah, go ahead, Manny. He had three picks, didn't he? He had Yes, and he's had about 11 or so uh, this season. So he has yet to face a defense like he'll face on Saturday against our Wolverines. And so he had better be ready because we will apply extreme pressure, and he better be able to drop it into a window because he's not seen anything like that this year. So just, you know, have a good week of practice and just watch the film because uh, he's going to see a different team than he's seen all year up in Madison on Saturday. I don't think that a team that can only run the football consistently um, can beat a team 
that can load the box and play man coverage on the outside. Wisconsin's quarterback isn't very mobile, so even in their run game, it's their turnaround hand the ball off. There's not you can't add that extra man that the defense has to defend with a uh, an right. option uh, read style of quarterback that even like Alabama has with Jalen Hurts. Um, you don't have to spy element when they have to defend his arm and his legs. Yep. So let, let, let's jump into. There's only four undefeated teams left in college football: Alabama, Miami, Wisconsin, and uh, Central Florida. Would you guys be okay with with a two-loss Power Five team making it into the playoffs before an undefeated UCF? Because that could possibly happen. Um, I personally am am comfortable. I, I think strength of schedule is the whole issue. I, um, you know, if if they're if they've played a Miami or if they've played a uh, um, a Florida State or if they've played a um, you know somebody in the in the region, University of Florida, that's one thing. But uh, you know, it, they're 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 playing a schedule that's not quite. Um, comparable in my mind to the Power Five schools, so uh, it'll be interesting. The uh, you know, I I don't yeah, think I would it... have to agree the 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 caliber of teams that they play week in week out um, is not the same as what the Power Five schools are playing. Well, and, and let's let's say it like it is, right? It's bad for business. Okay, and and in the end, you know, as we know, the influence of television on college football today. Um, if you want to give a team like that an opportunity to get into the playoffs, then you have to expand it to eight teams or sixteen teams. That's the only way it, it makes sense, in my opinion. You're an expansionist, Wangs. Well, I, this is what I am, Les. You're either go back to the way it was, where, where there's no playoff which will never happen, and we, we argue about who will be number one, which wasn't a bad, a bad system, and then you would value the bowls again, or you better take it to 16 teams and, and uh, have a true, uh, a true champion. I mean, because those other, the Division two and Division three do it, and all these other arguments, I think, go, go away, because there's still going to be some at four teams that you're saying, you know, maybe we should go to eight, okay? If you do 16... You take the Power Five conferences, the champions, and add in some of the, the, the other key teams that have great years. I think uh, there's no chance for for argument. But hey, it's, you got to go one way or the other. We're kind of in between. We're kind of half pregnant, in my opinion. <laughs> I uh, I agree with you. I'm an expansionist too. And it's, and, it's, and here's what happened: when the BCS was there, there was an yeah. Alabama LSU game that was played for the title the second time that the two teams played. And it was really from that moment that the, that the playoffs got legs and they, they, they went to make it work. And I think, I think you'll find that it will only be a, that time where that really good team was left to the outside and it, and it was not reflective of what we wanted as a country and then they'll change. But I think it's, I think it's more likely to be four, six, eight, and and then once they once they get to an expanded number, they're going to say, "Hey, you're exactly right. Let's let's go for a number 
that that uh, annually will work, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. I am also an expansionist, John. I think expansion, just to give more teams an opportunity. Um, I think with the expansion, the thing you run into is you'll have more teams that have three losses, and there will be more people thinking they should be in the top 16 um, rather than, you know, you only, you're only looking at five or six teams that think they should be in the playoffs each year based on schedule, maybe seven or eight. But, you know, when you start adding 16 teams, then there's going to be about 30 or 40 teams that aren't getting in that have really close schedules. Well, that's, we agree on one thing. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings up uh, my favorite part of the show. Because I am the <laughs> undisputed leader in uh, in the club picking these games right. uh, at this point in the year. So uh, the first game that we're gonna pick, we're gonna pick uh, will be our Michigan Wolverines versus Wisconsin, at Wisconsin, and they are ten point underdogs. So we are we are not necessarily picking against the spread. I think we're picking basically uh, a winner or a loser. So, Coach, what are your thoughts? Um. Wisconsin showed you when they played Iowa how they could rise up and play well in a uh, in a big game, and I think they're playing at uh, Wisconsin. So I uh, I think the uh, I think it's going to be a close game. And I, if you're telling me which team do you love, I'm loving Michigan, but I'm I'm picking Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin is a uh, gives the uh, potential in. Especially the place they're playing, it gives them the ability to play best. I'm probably gonna go with Michigan on this one. Um, I, you I are watched a smart Michigan man. Play a couple of, yeah, I've, I've watched Michigan play a couple of times. I think they're a good team. I haven't really seen a whole lot of Wisconsin though, so I'm just gonna go with Michigan. I'm I'm gonna go with our Wolverines too, uh, and and the reason I'm going with the Wolverines is that we have not had a true breakout game yet this year. And I think this is going to be the one. You know, looking at this Michigan team that we love, they have not beaten a team with a winning record. So that uh, that that becomes the reason that they're not highly ranked. Well, I think that that's kind of what I'm using as a as the motivation and the reason I'm picking Michigan. Not necessarily, obviously, there's a heart pick and there's a a mind pick, but I think. Michigan, they've not had a breakout game. And I think we're going to have a breakout game against Wisconsin. I just feel that the defense has been great all year, but they're going to explode. I think they're going to give uh, those guys fits. I think we're going to get some a lot of turnovers. And I think offensively, we've run the ball so much better. And I think this is going to be Brandon Peters' coming out game where he uh, has to throw the ball, because we're going to have to throw the ball to beat Wisconsin. And I think he's going to make some plays. It's going to be a very, very close game. But I think we're going to pull this one out. I just got that feeling. And uh, call me crazy, but that's why I'm going with Michigan. Well, I hope you're right, John. So so jumping over to the uh, LSU Tigers uh, at Tennessee. Now, we got a new head coach at Tennessee. We got Coach Brady Hoke, which uh, congratulations, Coach. You're uh, going to run the ship here. And uh, what are you guys thinking on that uh, on that front? They're uh, they're they're saying that LSU is a 14-point uh, favorite. 
I uh, I think it could be a closer game than that. I think Brady will do a great job, you know, mustering a a great push. But I, I don't I don't think the uh, I don't think there's any chance that Tennessee can beat LSU. I uh, I do recognize that Tennessee has talent and ability, but uh, I think they need to put it all together for them to have the, that kind of success against LSU. I'm I'm picking LSU. Yeah, I'm gonna go with LSU too. Um, Darius Geis has been running hard, been running well. Uh, I think he had 200 plus yards in their last game, um, so it's hard to stop stop that guy. I'm gonna go with the LSU Tigers as well. I think it'll be a closer game. I think Brady will bring it some energy, and whenever they make a coaching change, a lot of times there's a surge of energy initially, and I think Tennessee will get some of that, especially at home but I do think the uh, the Tigers will prevail. Next one, we got A&M uh, at Old Miss. Uh, so we uh, got Old Miss uh, giving away two points, but uh, what do you think about this one? I'm picking uh, the uh, Texas A&M team. I, um, it's at Old Miss. That's the advantage that Old Miss has. The uh, Texas A&M team has talent and ability. And they really played Alabama extremely well. Um, they they gave up some early scores, but then came roaring back and really were in a position to tie the game and or win the game um, late in that uh, contest. So I, I like their I like their ability, and and I, I think they have big time talent. So I'm I'm picking Texas A&M. Yeah, I'm I'm picking Ole Miss just because I've been in that stadium to watch some games before. And I know it's a tough place to play at. Um, I think there are two teams that are evenly matched up, so I'm going to go with the um, home crowd advantage. I'm going to go A&M. Um, I think they have been getting better here. I think they they obviously started slow, and but I think they're they're starting to round into shape. Um, my uh, good friend Chris Chapuka's son, Shane Chapuka, is the punter. I think he's the pin old miss back on a regular basis. So I think uh, Texas A&M is going to go in there and uh, and take care of Ole Miss, even though it's it's down there in Mississippi. Our fourth one, we're, we added a fourth pick because of the uh, potential of an upset on this one. Um, the University of Alabama, uh, Birmingham, is at Florida. And Florida is a 10.5-point favorite. But uh, UAB has been on a roll this season. They're 7-3, and three, and uh this is their first season back after a, a program was disbanded, and Coach Bill Clark has done a great job. Uh, Florida's on that five-game losing streak, doesn't really have a head coach. Uh, UAB has everything to play for. Uh, obviously, this would be a marquee win uh, for the program. And uh, is Florida just riding it out? They're three and six, and uh, hoping that the they turn in their equipment here in a couple weeks. Uh, is that? Do they have enough at, at UAB to go into the swamp and upset uh, a team like Florida, uh, which obviously on paper has more physical talent? Manny, there's no chance. The uh, UAB team is is coached really well by Bill Clark, seven and three. Um, but what's happening is is that the in the Florida locker room. There's some really talented guys. Um, Felipe Franks is in there. Um, there's talented defenders. Um, 
C.C. Uh, Jefferson. There's a, just a number of guys that that UAB they haven't they 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 do not have that style of player in their uniforms, and I think that that Florida says, hey, listen, enough's enough. Let's go kick the crap out of this team, get them, put them behind us, and and tell whatever coach they hire that uh, we're a talented team and capable and watch us play. I think that there's a, there should be a, a team meeting and, and some leadership, and I'm talking leadership from the players that are saying, hey, listen, we're going to have a new coach. We get that, but we're going to play this game for Florida and us and the guys in this locker room. So I'm, I'm picking the talent and the style of person at Florida. Yeah, I got to go with Florida, too. You know, they don't have a coach, but the, just like you said, the talent in that locker room is a little bit different than UAB's. Um, and I think that even though they've struggled to move the ball, I think they'll have enough explosive plays to still get some points up on the board and then just hold UAB out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Manny, unless uh, I, I think uh... – 80% of the time, Taylor's going to win out, and I, and I just think they have, they still have some pride down there. And uh, like Les said, they want to show whoever comes in and becomes their new head coach that they just didn't lay down and fold up their tent. So um, I, I believe Florida's going to win that game. Well, it's been a pleasure, John. A, uh, another uh, great week in college football. Uh, Manny Miles, uh, your, your father's proud of you. I can tell you this, that uh, – when you talked about Baker Mayfield, I, I thought about my son. He's the same kind of guy. He's a, uh, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve, loves his team, loves his teammates, and do anything to, to help him win. What a, what a joy it's been to having your perspective on our podcast. Love you, boy. And, and John Love Wangler, best friend in life, can't beat it. So, hey. Uh, uh, great lesson. Hey, Manny, hey. You tell Smack she better get to work. That's right. Let me tell you something. Right. Hey, you came out of the shoot strong, and uh, you know we had a lot of testosterone on this uh, podcast today. We missed Smack, but uh, you did a hell of a job filling in, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Well done, Manny Man. Well, I hope you enjoyed being a part of the Less Is More podcast. Hope that you uh, leave us some questions and a rating on the iTunes. Uh, if not, uh, if, you, if you want to leave a question there, go ahead and call us at 833-LESS-MORE. In the meantime, have a great day. The Players Tribune.com.